Welcome back to the Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. And as always, we are back for another movie with another guest. And today we are inviting back for the last time during season one, Mr. Alex Flores to cover 1988's revolutionary anime film, Akira. And yeah, Alex was here before. We talked about Logan on episode 21, I believe. 21. And now he's back for another one for his last time. And he's going to be coming back next season for his, fir for his first movie that he picked, which was Watchmen. Well, was no, I'm sorry, not Watchmen. The, the, Big, Leba the Big Lebowski there. I just went yeah, ahead. Yeah, Big Lebowski. Yeah, I went ahead and just uh, spoiled the second pick that he made. But it's all good. It happens. But uh, yeah, no, Alex is back. And how are you doing, friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just living and uh, pretty much yeah, pretty much just living. Trying to survive the ongoing pandemic we have going on. Yep. Yep. I believe we have not been put into shelter in place yet. We're kind of still, they still haven't decided to do that yet. Um, and we're just kind of uh, staying in our homes right now. I, I know that you're working remotely, right? Yes, sir. I'm working straight from home. I'm working right yeah. in my living room. That's good, man. At least at least they don't got you going to the actual offices at the university. No, 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 no. They've actually been telling us there at TSC that uh, they do not want us approaching the offices. They don't want us going there unless we absolutely business to conduct. They're like, as long as the students aren't here, you're not coming back. So. <laughs> They're like, so get the fuck out of here. So get, you better not come even close to where we are at right now. Yeah, because it's the same thing they're telling the students. It's like, unless you have business to conduct here, don't don't be coming here to hang around. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, last time you were on, we were talking about Logan. And yeah. that episode did pretty damn good. People enjoyed it. And now you're back. Uh, this movie specifically, you made someone mad for choosing. And uh, Brad said that out of protest, he's not going to be listening to this episode. Okay. So this is where I just put the obligatory fuck Brad. Yup, yup. Next next time Brad I, I think what Alex wants to say is that Brad next time needs to message me earlier. Get on the ball, dude. Get a better imagination. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 getting those movies. I'm getting them like that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so so uh we're here to discuss 1988 Akira. And uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you guys for uh, the love on yes, last week's episode. You guys really went, uh, you know, you guys really seem to enjoy that. So I want to thank you guys so much. We're, we're on the last couple of episodes here, man. Uh, I was really happy that you guys enjoyed the farewell episode. But we're, we're, getting, we're, pro we're approaching the end, man. And um, as I, I have to explain again, is uh, once we finish off with the season, we take like a month and a half break here. And then we come back for the second season. And then we'll see how long we need to take to finish the second season. But... Uh, this there the feed will be without episodes for about like I want to say like like a month and a half, and I will be scheduling the first five, and then we'll get to doing those, and we'll be on our way to conducting season two of the of the cinema condition. So I've been having a lot of fun, and I've been I've been having a really good time with discussing films with with uh, various guests. And next 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 uh, season has a lot of new guests coming on, so it's gonna be really really interesting, but. We're here to discuss this movie, of course, and we've never really discussed this. We never even discussed this director. I don't think this director has made any other 
films, has he? I, I think he's he, made like a couple of shorts. He, he's made shorts. He's made a few other like anime movies, uh, one live action movie, but he kind of just sticks to his own stuff. Yeah, so he's um, so he kind of sticks to what's it called, just anime and manga. But he doesn't really yeah. make, you know, act, he's made two, uh, two, what's it called, live action films: uh, World Apartment Horror in '91, and then uh, 2006 is Mushi, Mushishi, Mushishi, yeah, Mushishi, and uh, he's got, of course, two, two projects uh, incoming. Of course, uh, if you guys don't know, there is going to be a uh, re. It's safe to call it a reboot, right? Or a re-adaptation? Yeah, it's about a, it's about a, I'd say a remake is a better assessment of it because yeah. it's going to stick to what original film covered, but it's also going to go past the original yeah. film since the original film was, I just think it's crazy because the dude was like, oh, I haven't even finished the manga, but you know what? I'm going to create this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course, who we are talking about right now is the director known as Katsuhiro Otomo. Or uh, Otomo Katsuhiro, as uh, it is pronounced on both. Uh, you can say it with the first name first or last name first. doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Katsuhiro, so he, of course, he's mostly, no, mostly known for a manga artist and a manga writer, um, penciler, writer, and a, what's it called, artist. Uh, he's been working pretty much in manga since 73, with a gun report yeah. being his first one. And then his recent one was 2012's DJ Tech's Morning, Morning Attack. But when it comes to a film, he's directed a bunch of shorts. So uh, he did a segment for his first ever segment short film was in eight, excuse me, in 1987 called uh, Neo Tokyo, which was the film. But his segment was called Construction Cancellation Order. And then, of course, he would go on to make another short the following the same year. And then in 88, he would, of course, make Akira which was an adaptation of his manga that he did not even finish yet, but he made a, a film adaptation of it. And then he makes his uh, first live-action film, of course, World, World Department Horror in 91, makes another short film in 95, makes Steam Boy, the next anime film in 2004, then makes another uh, live-action film, which I already which I already discussed in, in 2006, which I already talked about, which was uh, Mushishi, and then 2013, he makes another short film called Short Piece. Uh, what's it called? A segment called The Combustible in, in the short film for, in the film Short Piece. And then, of course, he has Orbital Era and Akira, the anime series that are coming to be announced. He's also a screenwriter. He's done a lot of other stuff. But, I mean, this is a man who basically kind of revolves around uh, just either anime or manga. And, yeah, uh, that's, that's basically just his, his passion. And uh, yeah. one thing to say is that also at the time, given the production budget that Akira had, it was actually the most expensive film that an anime film ever did. Mm -hmm. It was a uh, 700 million yen, about five yeah. point about five point five million dollars. Yeah. And um, what's it called? Uh, besides his work in animation, of course, uh, he contributed his art to anime as varied as the Genma Taisen movie, Harmageddon, the, the, the Cruiser Joe movie, and a, a special Gundam anniversary short uh, film, the seven-part OVA series Freedom Project, and, of course, Space Dandy episode 22. So he's he's been working around a lot since the 70s. And, uh, of Busy. course, I forgot to mention, he was born in April 14, 1954, in, uh, in what's it called, um, in Miyagi, Prefecture, Japan. Prefecture. Prefecture? Prefecture? Prefecture. Yeah, prefecture. 
Miyagi Prefecture, uh, Japan. And yeah, what were you going to say, bro? Oh, no, no, no. I was just like, no, he's, he's just been all over the place, you know. He's, he's, he's critically acclaimed, you know. Oh, yeah. There's not, like, you, you, we, there's all his awards here. He's an American Eisner Award winner, mm-hmm. which means he's an uh, Eisner Hall of Famer, which uh, manga artists don't usually get. It says mm-hmm. here he's the fourth ever manga artist to ever do it. Probably would probably be, I think first would probably be like uh, Osamu Tezuka, the one that created Astro Boy and stuff like that. He'd probably be number, the first one, but to win an Eisner is a very prestigious thing in the world of comic books here in the U.S. Yep. Uh, he wins an, RV, an a Harvey Award in 93. He won an annual award in 2014. And uh, a, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but apparently this is a Lifetime Achievement Award given annually during the, what's it called, uh, in, in the comics world. So um, it's the Grand Prix de la Vie de Angelome. I, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly, but I tried my friend my best there. And um, yeah, he's critically acclaimed and a very, very, very important director and um, in in director and uh, artist within the uh, manga and anime world. Um, you know, not as, you know, the name isn't really as synonymous with anime like, you know, Kayao Miyazaki is or, uh, you know, uh, Makoto Shinkai as of late. But, you know, it is a very, very, what's it called, a big name because it is pretty much attached to the movie that, put anime in the map yeah here in the u.s here in the u.s um you know we did have anime you you know you had your, your speed racers your kimbo the white uh all various sorts of different anime but i think akira is what the u.s received that you know was like oh wow this is what anime and animation can really do yeah so and uh mm-hmm. not even just the film's impact but uh, one of the first manga to ever be localized in in the states was Akira through Marvel Comics' imprint Epicon. Mm-hmm. They actually took the original Akira manga and said, "Hey, can we put this in the U.S. and can we like you know localize it?" And he's like, "Yeah." He even he even worked in, uh, on the manga when they were localizing it through Epic Comics by redrawing a lot of the panels because they were going to do it through the traditional American left to right format. And he didn't want his artwork mirrored, so he's like, you know what? I'll help you rearrange the panels. Well, I'll, I'll even redraw panels if I need to, so it can be able to fit your y'all style more. Yeah, and he seems like a man who's like really what's it called careful with his work. Like you know, that's just he wants to have the say in how things are done. And uh, I mean, you can really tell that this came from the person who worked on the manga when you watch this movie. Yeah, and he was very hes. From what I've always read. He was very hesitant to make the Akira movie. It wasn't something that he ever really thought was going to happen. He, he never really like thought about it or even wanted it to be. But when they started giving him a little bit more free reigns and said, you know what? You can do it. Well, we'll let you have all free reign. He's like, mm, let's mm-hmm. go for it. So uh, this also before I, I, I we start this, I will preface this, that this is a movie that has been gone through several iterations to get it off the ground as a live action remake here in the States. Um, of course, before uh, Taika Waititi would get his hands on it, uh, I believe it was Leonardo DiCaprio who was trying his to produce. His production company. Yeah. His production company wanted to take care of it. Yeah. yeah, he wanted to take care of it. And then, of course, it would get a bunch of ground going when Taika Waititi was going to be the one set to, to direct the film. But then uh, Taika ended up taking uh, Thor Love and Thunder, and that was pushed to the back burner and now has actually been placed on uh, on hold on indefinite hold. 
So uh, this is one of the movies that even as big as it was here in the United States for anime, they have still tried to make it into a live action film. But it seems that it's not working out right now. Nothing. Seem, they don't seem to want. They they cannot seem to get it off the ground. But uh, Alex, first of all, um, before we actually talk about you know just how big this freaking movie is, because you know there's a reason Brad wanted to talk about this because he is the closest one to us who probably watched it in like the first five years that it came out. Let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My old Brad, man Brad. Oh man, Brad was built like born in like I think eighty seven or eighty six, and he probably watched it in like ninety two or ninety three, if I can remember. I don't remember too well, but uh, you know why? Why? So I, so I, I gave you this film, of course. Um, I asked you, hey, you want to do it? And you said, hell yeah. Uh, why would you agree to do this movie, man? I, I think the reason why I wanted to do this film is because, well, one. It's it's a beautiful film, and a lot of this film really stands the test of time on just animation quality. It's still so beautiful to watch all this cell drawn animation to this very day. Just it holds up to the test of time. You know the it's 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 remarkable in what it's done for the cyberpunk genre. I think mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have as big a cyberpunk genre as you know with without this movie. I mean. Without this movie, would we have a ghost in the shell? Would we have anything else that the anime and manga world really produced in terms of cyberpunk? Shit, would we even have like a Cowboy Bebop later on the de- later on down the line, about a decade later? Yep. Yeah, and, and um, just, sorry, go ahead. No, it's just that um, also, just what this movie did for the U.S. in terms of the respect that it gave anime, because I mean. You look at a lot of the anime that we had. We had Gigantor. We had uh, Speed Racer. We had Kimbo the White Lion. We had so many other localizations of different, you know, anime. But it was still seen in the mix of, like, you know, cartoons and just stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more child-friendly media. When this came out, it's like, you know, this... I, I, I don't think that it just, like, legitimized anime. I think it legitimized animation as a whole. And anyone that knows me mm-hmm. knows that I'm a huge animation fan. And I think that animation allows things to be limited there's things that you can do in animation that you could never even dream of doing in live action 100 percent. and i what i think that this other than being a revolutionary film it, it really does change the the conversation to looking at animation as a as also an adult oriented uh field because of course we we at this time, you have like a bunch of Disney movies coming out and stuff, right? Of course, that's animation. And people think, oh, it's really mostly for children. But then this comes out and we, the, the conversation is completely changed. It's completely changed. And we're looking at animation more as a ground for adult-oriented stories as well. And it's just, uh, it, it further kind of legitimizes the genre as a whole. And, you know, especially what we're going to get after this, you start getting probably incredible, like... Going into the next decade, we start seeing some of the greatest works of all time, and you really start seeing an incredible work in the 90s that is playing off the fact of that kind of Akira did legitimize this genre that we were seeing. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, you think about it, and like, you have Mamoru, you have Mamoru Oshii directing the Ghost in the Shell film in 95. Mm-hmm. Would we have done a Ghost in the Shell film in 95? I mean... Even uh, Matsumura Shiro, who created the Ghost in the Shell manga, it was well after it was well after Akira. Akira's, Akira was in work like 
publishing wise since 82. So mm-hmm. it was almost towards the end of the decade before we got a Ghost in the Shell. So could Masamune Shido have done the Ghost in the Shell manga and Mamoru Oshii do the Ghost in the Shell anime film had there not been an Akira? Well, I, I don't think so. I think that um, this movie and, of course, Blade Runner are the main factors as to why cyberpunk is where it's at. And this really, I, I think you cannot you cannot have a, a Ghost in the Shell without Blade Runner or Akira. And it's a very, very, very... Uh, pregnant. I mean, you think about it, what else? Uh, hold up, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie, the Josh Trank movie that was like the only recognizable thing he ever did. Chronicle. Chronicle, yeah. Chronicle was always, according to him, his way of trying to make Akira. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he talked about that on, a, what's it called, uh, on the Mina podcast when they had uh, him, they had him interview, to interview him for Capone, and he talked about that, yeah, like, yeah, that's kind of what I, what I kind of wanted to make Akira. And uh, I, it would be really interesting to me to kind of give, imagine if they gave Josh Trank, you know, the live action version of Akira. And, um, you know, somebody who really respects, who actually really respects that, probably would make it as, as uh, you know, close to as possible as the source of material as possible, man. But yeah, I, I want to get into this, man. Of course, before we actually talk, like, you know, like I said, there's a reason, man. I mean, this movie really... Anime was 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 happening before this, right? And you know, like you're saying, you had Kimbo the White Lion, you had all these other films, and all I mean, all the other uh, what's it called? Uh, what's it called? Uh, series. series. But this really does pop it off, man. I mean, we really do see a spike in anime after this, and you know, um, I believe most of Gundam was in '82, right? Uh, Gundam. Yeah. Uh, the original original Gundam series was actually the late '70s. Oh, wait, the, I'm thinking about the first one, Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah, Mobile Suit Gundam was the very first Mobile Suit Gundam anime. Oh, no, it's oh. 81. 81, yeah, I think 82 or something around there. But I'm, uh, thinking, yeah. I'm thinking something else. I'm, I'm, it, was, it ran from 81, and oh, no, actually, right here, the original run of the original Mobile Suit Gundam anime ran from 79 to 80, okay. right before it was canceled. Okay. Well, yeah. So, like I said, you you know, you have these big things like you know Gundam before this, but in the states, it it pops off. Anime pops off with Akira, and I gotta say, what's it called? Um, what, do you remember the first time you ever watched this movie? Uh, I was a freshman in college. Hmm. Yeah. I, when I first watched it, and it was like, whoa. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I remember vividly, bro. Um. So, of course, I, I've, I've always been into anime myself. Uh, I just, I never knew about Akira. I mean, not even my big brother would talk about Akira, but, but you know, he, he knew that it was this big thing. And uh, I, I checked it out my first spring year of college and like, boom, like, wow. I was like, holy crap. Like, this was incredible. I love this movie. And kind of, I, I wasn't, I wasn't like, you know, I was really into the animation and everything, but like, you know, I always was kind of fascinated by things like the music in the film and all that stuff. And uh, I, I believe the music was uh, scored before the actual film was worked on, correct? I believe so. Which is crazy. Um, and apparently, you know, the music takes a lot of influence from Indonesian uh, instruments. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's crazy that, you know, when we think about this movie, like the one that, you know, not many people bring up the music at first. But that was the first thing that stood out to me. The music is incredible in this movie. And I really have to bring that up before we get into like major, major topics about this movie. 
And the mu- the music is incredible to me. I think that it really does elevate the way that the movie presents itself and the way that we are kind of consuming some of those really, really high-octane moments uh, in the film. And it's it's all really, you know, due to this incredible score that's just done throughout this whole film. Yeah, no, the, the score really hammers it home into the frantic nature of this film. The movie is frantic. The movie is just all-out intense, you know, when they have all those bike chases between the rival gangs, you're feeling that intensity just like, mm-hmm. whoa. Yep. And you're feeling the tension. Uh, you're just feeling that tension. Mm-hmm. And of course, and also, you know, just the production, the animation design, uh, you know, the the small stuff like the lights, uh, you know, the 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 when the when the motorcycles are riding and you see the lights tracing and stuff like that, like just stuff like that kind of really just create the atmosphere of this film. And of course, uh, this movie is actually set in the past now because we are in the year 2020. This movie is set in 2019. And uh, before, like, now we're going to get into it. I got to actually describe. Uh, Akira basically is about this biker gang, bike gangs who are living in what is known as Neo-Tokyo after the old city of Tokyo was, uh, was uh, destroyed by a singularity explosion. Yeah. And we have these little children called espers who seem yes. to hold very godlike powers. And when one of them is escaped from a facility and, and what's it called? Uh, and crashes with a, with a, one of the bike gang members, Tetsuo, we kind of start seeing a spiral of events of, of how Neo Tokyo is trying to, you know, uh, get used to the idea of these type of uh, creatures out, but also, Tetsuo trying to find out what the hell is going on with him and his friends Kaneda and Kai and Kai and Koi uh, trying to help them out and trying to f- rescue their friend. Um, this, so of course this movie was released in 90, in 88 and uh, it's, you look at 88 by the way, fun fact for you guys, I, we've been doing a lot of movies from 88 on this podcast. Damn, I, 88 is basically the 2019 of the 80s, man. There was a lot of crazy good stuff that was coming out in 88. Like everybody was who was listening to the podcast, uh, the other main show. Like last year, we had an incredible year of movies. And if you go uh-huh. and look at the stuff that was that was released in '88, wow! I mean, you had a lot of great stuff being released in '88, dude. So uh, yeah, let's go ahead and get into. I, I can't really start this conversation about the movie without kind of discussing the uh, the whole city of Neo Tokyo, uh, Alex. I mean, we really, it's incredible how relevant this movie is, especially right now, too. I mean, you know, Neo-Tokyo is plagued with corruption, with police brutality, with a military-industrial complex, with, uh, with, with class, with, um, with class uh, divisions, and you have all these crazy stuff that is kind of very reminiscent of the world that we're kind of living in at the moment. Yeah, no, the, the world is plagued with a lot of, you know, I would call it maybe like... Uh like a militarization. Yeah. There, there's heavy military presence trying to, you know, like ramble up everybody. There's this, these, these spikes of rebellion, you know, there's these mm-hmm. spikes of gang violence, terrorism, you know, anti-government, all yeah. sorts of stuff that it's just kind of scary how much it mirrors what's going on right now. Yeah. And uh, so the first, the first, the first thing that we kind of learn about with, with, with within the the whole world of, of Neo Tokyo is 
of course, first of all, the, the gangs, they kind of are, are trying to control Neo Tokyo. But you also learn about protests that were happening. And some of the most, uh, you know, hard to watch moments of this movie is just the fact when, like, when the military starts opening fire on just the civilians. And, oh, yeah. You know, I don't think this movie is able to uh, be as serious as it is, excuse me, without the, um, the characterization of Neo Tokyo. I mean, Neo Tokyo really is its own character here. And it, it's, 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 it's crazy how, um, how, how, how relevant it is now, right? But also just how, um, uh, how presentable it is. Like it's not presented as this very sexy looking thing, but it's a very ugly thing that you, that you want to look like you, when we go into the old city, it's all broken down, of course. But when we're in Neo Tokyo, there's just this disgusting feeling that you get from looking at it because of what is going down there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. I think what Otomo does great in both the manga and in the anime is just to just create this ugly, grim reality of just these hardened people having to do this terrible thing. Like, you know, they could have very much have died in the same predicament that destroyed the original Tokyo. Mm-hmm. A lot of these... A lot of these families could have just died off and boom, they would have never, you know, the, these family lines would never continue again. So a lot of these people are living hardened by it. They raise their children to be hardened by it. Their children have to face this oppressive government, this heavy military presence that will gun down any civility should they choose to. You're being too much of a protester, boom, gun down. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's um, it's it, like I said, it's just wild because I mean, you turn on the news today, we're seeing you know the same. I mean, just what's been happening in Portland and New York, man. Fucking police t- just snatching people outside in the streets, taking them into their cars, and like like basically kidnapping civilians or protesters, opening fire not not opening fire, but like the what's it called, shooting them with rubber bullets and throwing tear gas and mace, and it's like you know it, it's it's crazy how a film that was released in eighty eight uh twenty. I want to say 30, actually, hold on. A bit over 20. bit over, over 25. A bit over 30, actually. Yeah, a bit over 30. Yeah, like around 30-some years later, it's way more relevant than it was back then. Yeah, no, definitely way more relevant. And I think it's just scary how relevant it is. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I agree with you. I think what's it called? Neo Tokyo is very militarized. I mean, they basically, when everything starts going south, and the actual military can't get their way. They just stage just a coup d'état, you know. Yeah. They they try to overthrow the government because they they're they're trying to limit their power, and and also something that kind of really what's it called sticks out to me is just how there's a the military has a very big um not distaste but they 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 they're in ignorance towards science like they're like okay get these kids back into the lab so we can keep experimenting, but it's not. It's not for for like information, more of a power structure. Yeah, no, it's it's them trying to maintain power. It's them trying to be like, I want to make sure that we are the power, we are the superpower of this society, or someone tries to take it away from us. Yeah, and then those, of course, those those power structures are mirrored as well within the civilians because you know these gangs that are basically made of childhood friends and. They're basically trying to have like, oh, like you're the leader, right? And like, you know, the reason why Tetsuo is so cold towards Kaneda is because, um, you know, he feels as if he's always been treated as less than. And there's always been a really big hierarchy within the gang where Kaneda is supposed to be, you know, bigger than Tetsuo. Yeah. 
So it's 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 rather interesting because you know, and also by the way, I mean, you, they 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 get labeled as terrorists, but the the actual way that the people within the gangs treat themselves is a lot better than the way that the military treats themselves in this movie. Oh, oh, definitely. I think I think I think um, the gangs have are more in touch with reality definitely than the military is. The military is like stripped of its, of its, uh, you know, morality, you know, it's humanity. And it's just like, you know what? I just want power. Yeah. And that's really what defines the, uh, the, the world of Neo Tokyo in this film that I think that that's what, uh, uh, Katsuhiro Otomo does so incredibly well. It's just kind of creating this world that is very grim, very, very mundane, because it's being ruled by this systemic uh, power structure that can, that has placed the military and government way be, way above everybody else and these normal civilians, where things like being shot in public are happening in this film. So I want to go ahead and uh and and, and, pre, and what's it called continue on with that when you look at the um the actual talking about the uh, the scientific um, the scientific experiments that they're doing on these kids and how god I, I when that moment happens when they're when they're in the other dimension and they get those flashbacks right to the chocolate and how Akira was created and it's just like it, it's, it's crazy how you know basically the government is snatching these kids and basically turning them into their own puppets and basically use using them for themselves only yeah, no, it's 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 crazy just how much they're just taking these kids, and it's like, oh look, we have little human weapons, and it's just like, well, yeah, let's just little guys use it to our advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, and, little atomic bombs just waiting to go off. But you know what? Let's just take. Yeah, and but sadly, unlike atomic bombs, these these people, these children, are able to you know think a lot, think for themselves, and. You know, when they try to escape, they sadly cannot escape as uh, as well as you want them to because they sadly are going to be kept because the military is such a prominent force within. They're going to be uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, brought back to the lab. But it, it's it's rather it's like I said, it's interesting how you know all of these are children. You know, children who are you know innocent and not you know not ri- not what's it called? They're not rid of a. There's not much sin within them, right? You know, they're just they're 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 innocent people who have not been corrupted yet by the society that they live in, even though they've been experimented by them. But you have these kids, and that's why I think it brings in a really really interesting conversation that I'm going to bring uh, bring towards the end of this co- this podcast about the whole side of divine entities in this movie. Oh, and boy, there's a there, there's a there's a big there's a big focus on divine entities and just, and I just think that it's crazy. Like all these kids are after are just trying to like, you know, run away and just, just be kids. Like, you know, they're, they were taken at a young age and it's just, it, it's more so the the circumstance of, Oh, I was born with this ability and now the government's trying to take me and use me as a weapon just for their own power play. Yeah. Before I can even understand the world that I'm, that I lived in, I've already been snatched. I'm, I'm being experimented on and I'm being basically used and being, uh, what's it called, uh, corrupted by these people who don't really have any sense of, uh, of uh, care in the world for me. They don't care for me. They're just wanting to use me 
as a puppet. And then when I'm not useful anymore, I'll be left tossed aside. And even though, you know, I'm being kept in a facility that's pretty nice, it still doesn't matter. Like, you're still being, what's it called, experimented on and being tormented. It's just like, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we did Logan last time. And it's like, you know, compared to the, uh, compared to the situations that those kids were living in in Logan, to these, still, they were still being mistreated. Yeah, no, they were they were just basically pawns in a, in a game being played by their military. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to go ahead and continue this conversation when we come back from commercial break. But in the meantime, please listen, please listen to these commercials and ads about the uh, rest of the shows on the Record Podcast Network. But when we come back, we will continue our conversation on 1988 Akira. And we'll see you guys after the break. Hey, I'm Rolando Mendoza, and this is... Jabril Newton. And we are the hosts of High Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, pro wrestling has come back to the NerdCore podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about, it is from AEW to SmackDown to Raw to NXT. Nothing's off the table. We can talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www.patreon.com slash the nerdcore and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Square Circle. Don't tap out. Tune in. Tune in. Hey, it's Ashley from the Gamer Core. You may remember me from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Money Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co-host, Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ, about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is the next gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the Gamer Core podcast, everywhere where podcasts are. Hey everyone, my name is Raul Dinari Chicano, and I am the host of The Impert Files. The Impert Files is an interview show brought to you every Thursday on the Nerdcore podcast feed. And I interview people such as filmmakers, content creators on YouTube, and podcasters like Colton Geschwander. And if you want to listen to that early, a whole week early, all you got to do is go to the Patreon and pledge to the $1 tier. And if you want to listen to it with the general public, then go to Nerdcore Podcast Feed on anchor.fm slash the Nerdcore. And the case is close, but it's not classified. See you guys there. Hey guys, this is Brad, aka Young Yoda. Raul said I had to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's supposed to be for Unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere. When it comes to this podcast feed, you can find me on the nerd cores, on gamer cores, on nerdy Chicanos sometimes when I get lost. Uh, I mean, but for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out Unstructured. The role gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday, vaping. Uh, so many other freaking weird topics that, uh, chimichangas, that's a good one. Um, uh, shout out to Deadpool. And yeah, I, I guess this is the end of the ad. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this, uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. 
I love you all. And nerd up. Hello, 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 guys and gals, and you're listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. I am your host, Daniela Nunez, and along with my amazing co-host, Ashley Garcia, we discuss many things like social impact, pop culture, political realms, and any controversy surrounding the nerdverse. Tune in and listen to us bi-weekly on the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we will love to chat and hear your thoughts on our wonderful show. And thank you again for listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. What's up, everybody? It is me, Raul, and I'm one of the hosts of the Nerdy Chicano Show. The Nerdy Chicano Show is a comedic show brought to you by Luis and myself, and it comes to you all every Sunday on the Nerdcore podcast feed. You can catch it a day early by becoming a Patreon and supporting us at the $1 tier. And I don't really know how to explain this show other than it's fun. We get to talk about whatever we want, and it helps you move on in the week. So if you want to catch on, if you want to catch the the Nerdy Chicano Show every Sunday at 8 a.m. All you got to do is go to anchor.fm slash the nerdcore, and we'll see you there, baby. Hey, everyone, I'm Raul. And I'm Brad. And we're the hosts of the Nerdcore Podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd. Not on this ad, right? And we come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news. That's the box office, the news of the week. And your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review. And on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review. Usually movies that have come out in the week or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brett? Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen. We're the flagship show of the Nerdcore podcast feed. And we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, so if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And Brad? Young Yoda out. All right, we're back from break, and we hope that you guys liked those ads, and you guys go and check out those episodes, those, uh, those shows on the Nerdcore podcast feed. As always, remember, you can catch them on anchor.fm slash the nerdcore. That is anchor.fm slash the nerdcore, C-O-R-P-S. And uh, go and check them out because a lot of really talented people are, make a lot of really talented shows over there. And right now, you know, we only have a couple of shows running because of the pandemic. But hopefully, after after everything comes down, and I don't have to, uh, I I don't want I didn't want to force anybody. So after everything comes down, hopefully we start seeing some of those shows come back. But as of right now, we only have like three or four shows running uh, compared to our usual like seven. <laughs> so excuse me. Uh, go and check them out, though, and leave a rate review on your podcast app of choice to help people find those shows easier. And, yeah, this show is on the Nerdcore podcast feed as well, but, you know, it's backed up. So if you guys are listening on there, you're late, really late. Like, you guys are, I believe... Get on the ball! <laughs> you guys are, like, about five episodes behind what we're doing. So the the best place to be listening to this show is on this feed. So... Uh, but it's still on there if you want to catch a rerun. And, of course, it'll be on there. But without a further ado, we're going to go ahead and get back into our conversation here on 1988's Akira Akira. All right, Alex, we're back and we're doing this. We're still going at this. I've got a couple of topics left I want to bring up. But we were still talking about, you know, basically these kids being used as um, as as basically subjects and pawns. And uh, I, I, I part of me, you know, what's it called? Uh Kind of, kind of, you know, it's kind of hard to look at some of the things that these kids are being put through, man. Uh, especially in the way that, oddly enough, 
these kids are a different, a whole ass different skin color than these, than the regular citizens of Neo Tokyo. And, uh, it really kind of signifies that division in class, but also in a, in a sense race as well, man. Like you got these kids who are completely different skin color and they're like, Hey, you know what? You guys should be the ones to be experimenting on because you guys are the only ones who have powers. And it's like, Oh, well, none of these other fucking guys can get the powers. Uh, of course, until we find out that uh, the, the what's it called the powers are actually being are able to be, so are they able to be transport transferred to to them? Alex, I think I think it's vaguely covered in the in the movie. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where the manga goes deeper into it because I don't think we really got to to get a sense of that right now. Yeah, like. But I do think that it's able to get through because that just goes down to the whole. I think what I think what a lot of the film boils down to is who is going to be the one to carry out the uh, the Akira project. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we of course get the uh, the tease that you know it's Tetsuo, but it's also Kai who also is now starting to develop her her own powers too, and um, it's it kind of showing that you know okay, we're actually able to replicate this more and soon. And sooner or later, the people with the Akira powers are going to be outnumbering those in the military complex and actually be able to overthrow them and stage their own coup. But yeah, I, that was one of the questions that I had throughout this whole thing. I was like, hey man, how, how do they get these powers? Are like, they able to transfer it? Or is it when, when, they, when they were crashed, like blood got on them and they were able to you know absorb them or something? But I guess the movie just doesn't go into that at all. I think that's one of the things that it just boils down to uh, where the movie landed in terms of how far along the manga was. Yeah. I feel like because it, because the uh, the film landed during the serialization of the manga, he couldn't really explore elements that he would have wanted to because, well, I still haven't made them yet. <laughs> I, I, I still haven't done that yet in my own series, so can't just be giving it away in a movie. Yeah. So I think, I think he kind of, the thing that I always think about the movie is that it has a big line of ambiguity in it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, it's not ambiguous because of the fact that, you know, I can't finish the story yet. And it's also not ambiguous because it's like, you know what? I- mm-hmm. And I was going to say, uh, that last part got cut off, man. You want to bring it up again? Uh, yeah, no. Um, I think that it's left... I think Otomo leaves it ambiguous for a purpose. Like, besides, you know, the actual part where, oh, you know what? I kind of have to leave it ambiguous because I haven't finished the manga yet. Yeah. So why am I going to give you my... Why am I going to give you my story in this film? Yeah. I want you to go still read the manga? Yeah. But I think it's also, it's like, you know what? I kind of want to leave it up to your interpretation of just what the hell's going on here. Mm-hmm. So and, and also like he kind of takes a page out of a filmmaker that we're going to be discussing on the next episode. Like this movie's heavily influenced not just by Blade Runner, but the whole last segment is a whole part out of 2001: A Space Odyssey. Like the whole like the whole what's it called uh that whole last segment with the visuals and then you know basically going back to the creation of of the world. It's like he took a book uh, a page out of fucking Kubrick's notebook when it comes to 2001 and leaving things really ambiguous. Yeah, no, I, 
I, I really like the ambiguous nature of the film. I think it's possibly the best way to do it. Yeah. Especially given the circumstances. But I think that's also um, going to just like a random film. Um, Annihilation. You ever seen Annihilation? Have not had the pleasure of watching that yet, even though it's in the, it's on my watch list. It's an excellent movie. Oscar Isaac and uh, uh, Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman, yeah. Okay, so Annihilation, there was a big... It, it's based off of a book. It's based off of a science fiction novel. So um, it's very mysterious, and it's very kind of, you know, ambiguous. It's kind of... It, it doesn't... It doesn't give you the answers to everything. It kind of leaves it up for your own interpretation of like, just what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. But, um, it was actually a big clash between the director and the producer with the uh, studio. Mm-hmm. There was a huge clash where the studio was like, we don't like this, you know, the audience that like our test audience doesn't understand it. Like they don't like the ending. You know, the ending was like too open. It's too ambiguous. Uh, the, the audience didn't like it. It's like, can you change it up a little bit? And it's like, oh, that's not what it's meant to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it's I mean, like, in a sense, that's kind of how, you know, audiences reacted to 2001 at first as well. Like, it's it's too ambiguous. Like, we don't understand shit. And like, you know, even now, people are still debating what the fuck 2001 was about. And, and I think that that's not bad because if you take a science fiction fan such as myself and you hand them this... They like that ambiguous nature. Yeah. It's 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 not meant for everybody, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think that's something that we lose sense of. It's like, well, not film creators, actually. You know, film creators want to make their own stories. But I think in terms of, like, the heavy emphasis on the casual audience, it's like, well, I, I, I can't do that because not every piece of media is meant for everybody. Yeah. Not yeah. every piece of media is meant for everybody, just like Akira. It's a very uncomfortable movie to watch sometimes. And widely acclaimed as adult animation because that's what it is. It's an adult yeah. animation. It's not for kids. It's not meant to be, you know, this pleasing movie. It's supposed to give you a heavy dystopian story that really just opens your eyes and makes you think, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. If if you tell if you tell me that you were comfortable Watching the military open fire on their own on their own citizens in this film, uh, I've got a conversation to have with you about what the hell is wrong with you. But it's true. This movie is not is it's not what's it called? Um, it's it's not easy one to kind of view. It's it's uncomfortable seeing what the uh, how dystopian this film is. But it's it's rather interesting that one of the big themes in this movie is the whole theme of friendship between these in the gang. So uh, what? But by the way, I can't remember. Uh, what what did they call themselves? That gang? Canada's gang. I can't remember. I know that there was ones that they called like the clowns. Yeah, the clowns were the rival gang. Yeah, but I don't remember Canada's gang. Let me see. I, I can't remember, but uh, I only know is that they, they have a very strong the capsules. The, cas- the capsules, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a very big, strong presence of friendship within this gang. You know, especially when you think about a gang, you think about these men who are supposed to be macho and, uh, you know, very, very, what's it called? A strong, very fierce looking. Like, these are all a bunch of regular teenage boys who cry because they thought their friend died. I know. It's just a bunch of misfits trying to make this sense of camaraderie in a world that is just so chaotic. Yeah. 
and and I really do appreciate that. I think it really does emphasize that whole feeling. Like, yeah, there's a reason why Kadena Kadena uh, wants to go and help out uh, Tetsuo and wants to save him because, you know, in that flashback, Tetsuo was uh, Tetsuo's first friend and probably one of his most uh, uh, one of the people that he he appreciated the most was Kadena. And I, I think it's really interesting just to like see, especially once uh, Tetsuo gets the uh, Akira powers and just starting to see his his psychological change just into this much angrier, much more cynical spirit. And you know, yeah. I think what the Akira uh, powers bring out of Tetsuo is possibly letting Tetsuo have a vehicle towards those true feelings that he never really got to release out. And just how mm-hmm. oppressed he felt within the gang structure. Yeah, yeah. But, like, deep down inside, you know, there was still a love and appreciation for each other that, you know, it gets revealed in those flashbacks. Like, you know, that you had a kid who was basically being bullied and being looked at like, you know, like, like what's it called, a loner because he lost his parents. And then he, he kind of finds his place in his home with his friends and his gang. But, you know, the Akira really brings out those repressed feelings of, Feeling like he's not enough for this person that he looks up to, looks so so looks up to, and and thinks of probably even more as a friend and more, like more in the sense of a brother. Just I, the nature that it really explores in this film is crazy. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that whole nature of the friendship is just so it's it's <clears throat> I think it's I think it's great because. You know, at the end, towards the end, when they all just kind of ride off into the ride off into the city, and it's like, you know, he was able to. So he loses Tetsuo, but he gains a new the Kanada, Kanada, kind of gains a new friend in uh, Kai. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like you know, even though we lose these people, and we kind of we we try all our best to kind of bring them back and and do what we can to keep them around. You know, there's still others that can depend on us and can help us be, uh, what's it called, that we can help not feel as lonely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. You're cutting out. So, uh, would you just oh, say, no, no, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't really like finishing a thought. I was just kind of like trying to get a, I was trying to get a thought of, yeah. out of my mind. No, no. And, and I really do appreciate that movie. So, so when I first watched this movie, that's one of the big things that I appreciate the most. Uh, but, you know, the, it wasn't until my second watch where I'm really, like, get into the politics of the film a lot. And uh, that's, I think the second rewatch was when I really did say, oh, man, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, for sure. And it wasn't until this third rewatch where it's like, dude, like, there's so much stuff going on here. Like, uh, I, I think that, I, I so I want to bring this up before we get into the whole divine part of this film, which I think is the last part that we can discuss. Uh, I think that, um, what's it called, Katsuhiro missed the mark on having a huge, huge conversation on addiction here. Because Tetsuo keeps taking those pills because it helps repress his powers. Like, he really could have put in a really big conversation on, uh, on, on basically opioid addiction. I guess I can see that. Yeah. I think he missed something around, along those lines. But of course, like you said, the manga wasn't done. You know, he wasn't gonna, <laughs> how was he going to keep doing more? And the, the source material wasn't even finished. So, uh, yeah, I, I think stuff like that, and then of course the religious symbols in here, do like you know the whole creation of the universe, and and uh, what's it called? These divine entities as these kids who are supposed to be you know so so um, 
so um, innocent, and they're basically what's it called? These other realm, other realm creatures, where they feel like gods in a sense. And uh, yeah, I want to get into that. I think that's going to be one of our biggest meat and structure here of this movie. Is just basically the biggest thing I can pull out of this movie is the question: Are humans truly real? Are, I mean, are humans truly ready to inherit godlike powers? You have no. so, and it's, I'm it's like, no. no, of course not. You, you, that, and that's the whole point. Is what's it called? Those kids talk about like p- big people like you cannot have these powers because you've already been corrupted by society. You have your preconceived notions of what you want, and you would only use these powers for selfish reasons, as Tetsuo uses them. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that. I think, I think. Because the kid, because you give the powers to kids, they, they don't really know what they have because they don't have like this this notion of just the cruelties of the world and just all sorts of different stuff. Mm-hmm. So what I think is different with the kids, I mean with with like with what you were saying is that I think once the more that you get older and the cynic and the more cynical you get because of your outlook on society, you start to develop this notion of a god complex. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what Tetsuo, you know, kind of gets with uh, with, with his powers. And you know, even though there there are moments where Tetsuo truly does does disconnect from that god complex, and he wants, you know, he wants Kaneda to uh, to go and save Kai because she's about to die if she continues being inside the 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 you know the whole mass that he creates, or yeah. parts where he's like he snaps out of it. He's like, oh, like he's really surprised to see Kaneda. And then kind of kind of gets you know into his like whole leadership type of attitude, and then he snaps back back into it. But it, he's not too far gone, but he isn't truly you know stable enough to be able to inherit these powers, these powers because he has he he grew up in an or basically in an orphan home, and yeah. he his he he has always grown up in a city that was created after his original city was destroyed. So, of course, these kids would not be this. At least, uh, of course, Tetsuo would not be ready to inherit powers such as this. So it's 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 understandable why the next person to get the powers are is Kai, who might just end up being a better what's it called a uh, a better surrogate. Well, not surrogate. I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> a better a better suitable person for those powers than uh, Tetsuo was. Yeah, no, definitely. I think the the. And I think that Tetsuo was very aware of his, of his instability, of his, like, towing the line of just, like, between, you know, okay, I'm capable of having this, I have my humanity intact, and, like, okay, I have this enormous god complex that just is really going to cause me to just do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and of course, the kids, the, what's it called, Akira was able to pull Tetsuo out, and, and I guess, and now that Tetsuo will be with, with Akira, he's able to, you know, be taught more about what his powers actually do mean and how he's supposed to act, but, you know, you basically, these humans aren't ready, man. These humans are not ready to inherit these powers because they're just not suitable for them. You, you Of course, these kids who are so innocent and have only been, it, it's, it's interesting because these kids have gone through just as much as bad stuff as these as the humans have, but they're more they're more suited they're more suited for these powers because they're children who are innocent and they aren't 
really, you know, these these what's it called a uh, um, corrupted creatures like humans because us humans are such complex fucked up creatures. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's like it's <laughs> <laughs> that really does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. We are, we are, and um, you know they are in they are in way gods, and uh, I mean. In a way, I mean, not in a way, man. They really are. I mean, they were able to send them to a different fucking dimension and then pull them out of that dimension and put them back in where they were at. So, you know, if that's not godlike powers, I don't know what is. Um, yeah, and this, is, this film just has a way of tackling such heavy topics. Yeah. Um, and one other thing was, you know, the creationism aspect here. So uh, the, the the scientist, he's like, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's the creation of the, uh, of the of the universe now. And the, the, this new world that these people are going to be able to inhabit uh, where, you know, now once again, Neo-Tokyo has been struck by another singularity. And now we're going to have to make a Neo-Neo-Tokyo. And um, but now, you know, we're going to start again. Basically, start from scratch, and hopefully this time around, the people will be actually able to listen and understand what's going down within the Akira project. <laughs> I like this movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this. This movie has too much of a uh, trust within humans. Yeah, no, and and I think, and I think that kind of, I think that's what the movie kind of. I think that's what the movie kind of just tries to do for everybody. I think it it, it, it really establishes this uh, interpretation, like I said, to where it's like, okay, well, what do you think? Do you think that if humans were granted a second chance towards a brand new society, do you think we could do inherently good? Or do you think we're just a lost cause that's just going to be phased out? Yeah. Yeah, and it also shows that, like, uh, this is why I love Man of Steel so much, remember. It's like, you know... Man is not ready to be in the presence of God. It's no. they're not. Because the minute these entities are here, they are they are snatched by the government to be experimented on. They're not. They're not ready, man. You know, there there's no compassion yet and there's no curiosity to help, you know, uh help learn about them in a safe way. There will always be this sort of uh, you know, um, mal in mal malintentional um type of um, notion to want to, you know, go beyond the line of what it is to uh, interact with gods. Like, you know, they, they can't just sit there and learn from each other from a conversation. They have to have a government basically snatch them up and basically subject them to experimentation after experimentation after experimentation. And I also think that, you know, when, like you said, like, human beings aren't ready to be put in the present. Mm -hmm. We don't see it as, oh my God, we finally have one of our questions answered. You know, let's go about this in a respectable way. You know, let's go about this as an inquisitive way. We take it as, oh, look, that is the next step that we as a species can take. And it's like, no, you're looking at this all. Mm -hmm. Just that, but it's, you also, some people will probably approach it with hostility because like you were talking about the prejudice towards the kids. We're going to approach it with hostility because that's just something that we just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That we're unfamiliar with and we're uncomfortable with. So it's like, we're, we're just going to be like, no, I don't understand that. So we're going to resent it. Yeah. And then there's so much uncertainty within the, the race of humans in this film that like, 
the government doesn't trust the scientists. The the the, uh-huh. the one group that should be trusted more than anybody. I say this even in real life. We should be trusting scientists way before we trust politicians and or the military or whatever. And basically, the military complex in here basically pushes aside the scientists and uses Hello? them. What's up? Alex? Hold on. Uh, yeah, uh, technical difficulties. Hold on. We'll be right back. Hello? Small technical difficulties. Sorry, guys. But I was saying that, you know, that there's so much uncertainty within the race of humans in this movie, right? You know, you the scientists don't, don't, don't what's it called? The, the scientists aren't trusted by the military complex. So then it leads for the scientist to have to, what's it called, work on his own behind the military complex's, uh, you know, back. And then when they find out the, the guy, the, what's it called, the military, the military is just mad and pushes him aside for him to basically work on his own and finds out information that is very vital to the, to the project. But the military is just, what's it called, uh, is just preoccupied with killing Tetsuo and making sure that these entities are still kept inside their facilities. Yeah, no, and, and it's definitely the idea of, well, we have to kill Tetsuo. It's only because it's like, well, you know, we've already whipped these kids into shape. You know, we've caused these kids to fear us. And it's like, this kid, he's a little too, you know, he's a little bit too off his rocker. Yeah. He's a little bit too off his rocker. He's too much of a rebellious spirit. Like, he has that, you know, he, he comes with that rebellious spirit that came with him, his, his, his upbringing in the gang, you know, his upbringing with these other kids. And so he has that rebellious spirit in him. He has mm-hmm. that emotional uh, limbo that he's going through between the God complex and, you know, his own humanity. So it's like, we can't control that uh, that kind of being with this kind of power. So it's like, we're better off just killing him. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he, he's of no use to us, so why, can't, why do we keep him around? And once again, it just shows we as humans are not ready to be in the presence of this, of, of such creatures, man. You know, I, we... I, I think... Not just with gods. I think we're just not ready to be in the presence of anything we just don't understand. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we. just to go all social commentary here, we as a species can barely understand one another, let alone try to understand a being of, you know, a different planet or a different, you know, you know, power to us. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's, it's crazy because, you know, we as humans are really, you know, really connected to dogma, you know, these dogmatic, uh, what's it called, uh, symbols and visuals and, and, you know, uh, figures, like, we're so, we're so connected to them, but at the end of the day, what's all this movie has reiterated, once again, we are not ready to confront these dogmatic uh, figures, we're not, because we'll just toss them aside and let the government use them as they need to, uh, to, so we can have a sense of security. And, and and that's just that's just something that the we as humans have done uh, way too often, especially in our U.S. society. We're more than willing to tr- we're more than willing to you know give up our our own sense of freedom and you know create like these prejudice ideas in our heads about these different people of different you know from different places and whatnot, mm-hmm. just for our own semblance of safety. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, and it's, you know, in this film, even if it's set in Japan, it's like I said, it's so very reflective of, of the world that we're, we're living in right now. And, and in a sense, I think he does bring up stuff that, you know, 
the how the Japanese country was living at the time of the Second World War and how they placed so much trust and they abided by everything that the emperor was saying. And, you know, they basically adapted to what the emperor wanted. Yeah. And and ultimately, towards the end of the war, you we just know how badly it backfired. 100%. And it's just, once, just like I said, yes, humans are not ready to confront the notion of these, these figures when we can barely even understand how to uh, confront ourselves. And, I mean, uh, you look, just, just think of the symbolic nature of, you know, since you were connecting it back to World War II, just of what happened to the original Tokyo in the year, uh, uh, I think it's 1889. That 1988, actually. 1988, where the film takes place at the beginning before we go to Neo-Tokyo, yeah. just watching the explosion. He's drawing a lot of heavy influence from, you know, the bombings that took place in Japan towards the end of the Second World War. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, like, once again, we have we have access to these weapons that are cataclysmic. And we have, first of all, we have no right to have these, these weapons. And second of all, we have no idea what these weapons can do. And when we start having to use them against others, we set off course of events that could basically annihilate us all. Yeah, no, and I think... Um you know, hell, maybe we could even draw the comparisons to the fact that maybe the reason why um, the military is trying to whip these kids into shape and make sure that, you know, their powers are beneficial to the military is because of the military's own God complex and they want to play God. Yeah. Yeah, of, of course. Of course. In a way, that's 100%. I can definitely see that, man. Yeah. And it's, 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 their me- it's their means of keeping their God complex and feeling like they are the godly beings there. And the mere fact that there's somebody of greater power in just one person, that scares the shit out of them. Yeah. Because yeah. this is an entire organization that governs an entire region of Japan. And here is this one kid with the power to take out, you know, the entire, the entire country. And it's like, no, we need that kid at, at our disposal. Yeah. And and, and, then, and then there's just very few instances where the colonel says, "Are you to ask ask Tetsuo if he's okay?" But it's only because he's being told by the scientists to check up on him. He's like he doesn't do it because he cares. He he could he could literally unload the whole damn clip into Tetsuo's head and he won't care. But the scientist is the one that keeps pushing. Hey, get him back to the lab, please. It is not safe for him to be out there like that. And, you know, like, when everybody else is just saying, like, just kill him already. Like, just kill Tetsuo already. And, uh... Yeah, and I... With you talking about the colonel kind of reminds me, maybe, you know, even tying back to when we were watching Logan. Yeah. Of, uh... Of, uh... When, in Logan, it's like, they're they're not viewing him as a human. They're viewing him as a property. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, what Tetsuo is and what all these kids are, are just properties. Because... What's it called? If he, if the colonel actually did care about these children, when when that mass was going on, and when when the world was when when basically those kids were in basically about to get killed, he would have run off to help them and to make sure that they get out there. But he was still concentrated on killing Tetsuo. Yeah, yeah, and it once again goes to show that uh, there's just will always be some sort of preconceived notion to how we interact with stuff like this. 
And it shows once again that there's that clear power structure within within the human human race compared to these entities who all are worried about each other and they're just trying to do something for the greater good so that way what's called Tetsuo doesn't die completely off and he gets help from Akira so that way he can further learn to understand his powers. Man, this, this movie is just... Fucking <laughs> love this movie. Fucking love this movie. I'm glad, you, I'm glad we chose to do this, man. Before we head out, you got anything else that you wanted to bring up that we didn't really cover that you had to... that you that you saw during the film that you wanted to... You know, bring to the attention of uh, bring to the attention of the episode. Um, no, actually, if anything, I just kind of want to be like, um, you know, I think I'm just kind of just want to like think about like, I really hope Atomo really has his finger on the pulse of the uh, upcoming uh, remake through Sunrise. Cause <laughs> Me too. I, I I'm I'm immensely scared of us kind of sanitizing the story. Mm-hmm. Because, um, I don't know, I, 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 that's what I'm scared of, because I always feel like when we stray away from the original creator and his mindset approaching the story, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's when we truly, you know, kind of, it, it, it just kind of gets to be watered down, because um, I'm trying to remember the creator of Gundam's name, hold up. Whew. Remember uh, his name. Uh, hold on, a uh, quick Google search, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now. Nothing wrong with I'm a good, good old... Google search here. Um, Mofo, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> didn't I uh, didn't do the exact research? Uh, Yoshi Yoshiyuki Tomino. Yes, Tomino. Tomino. So I always feel like, especially when you go and watch Gundam, Tomino's Gundam stories are always, you know, the pinnacle of Gundam because, you know, when everybody thinks of. You know, especially when you think of the Universal Century timeline, when you want to go into just the Universal Century timeline, mm-hmm. and you think of all of the key at adi- the, the key installments of like Gundam and then Zeta Gundam, yeah, going all the way towards the the final film with the uh, with Shar Shar's counterattack. Uh, yeah, those are all Tomino stories, and I think that that's when Gundam's at its best. Oh yeah, and I think and that it's it- when Gundam is the most uh, the most nuanced. Yeah, and it's always when Tomino's at the helm, he writes the story, he's the one directing the film, he's the one, you know, directing the story. I think that's when Gundam's at its clearest, when everyone else tries to get their fingers into the pot, I think that's when Gundam can get very wishy-washy. Yeah, yeah, so I hope I hope for the best for this series, because I really, I'll take an anime series before I see a live-action adaptation of this any freaking day, guys. Um, yeah. I, I I will take the Akira series way the anime series way before I take that live action film. I think they need to keep that thing locked away as soon as possible. Um, so I really can't wait for this. Um, I do want to know how does the uh, how does the what's it called um how does the uh, the manga end compare to the film? How it basically ends with Tetsuo being you know introduced to the rest of the entities, and he just says, "Hey, my name is Tetsuo Shima," and. It's like if we're looking into the cosmos. I I haven't personally finished the manga. I've been oh. meaning to. I'm actually having a tab open, and I'm just like, because uh, there's a hardcover box set from Kodansha of yeah. all of the original Akira volumes in its original right to left, which yeah. I think to right at this moment, I think the box set's the only way that you can get Akira in its original right to left format. I found I found the paperback version at that yeah. comic shop in the mall. And I think it's still the left to right. Oh, okay. I think uh, a lot of them are still left to right. So it's kind of like, 
because uh, I like experiencing manga in its original right to left format. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know how it ends. I really want to. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I really want to know how it ends. But uh, I guess that's kind of it, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Akira, they do have the dub and the subversion on Hulu. Uh, I really do recommend it. And um, Alex, how did you enjoy your time here on the Cinema Condition, bro? Oh, I love I, I, I love getting to do the Cinema Condition anytime I can talk about some of my favorite movies. Like, yeah. I can't wait for season two. We already let it out of the bag that, you know, we're doing... Um, Lebowski and Watchmen. Lebowski and, and Watchmen. Yeah. Um, Lebowski is, you know, probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Well, easily one of my top five. Um, easily... One of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, it's it's just a great movie that I just can't wait to talk about. Yeah. Just the insanity that is Lebowski. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have and, a lot. Of, we're gonna have a big discussion on bowling. Oh God! <laughs> oh my God! I don't. I think. I think because I love bowling. I don't know if I would love bowling as much as I, if I hadn't watched Lebowski. It yeah. got to the point where it's the last time that I went bowling, I wore my big Lebowski shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wore a dude shirt to go bowling. 100%. We're going to have a big conversation on bowling and uh, and white Russians. White Russians, you know, and, and fiat fucking nah, man. Fiat fucking nah, yeah. So uh, thank you so much, Alex. Um, so we'll see you on the next season. But uh, yeah, if you guys want to listen to the other episode that we did with Alex, he was on here for Logan, I believe, and I don't, I, I have to check the letterbox. You actually, my my list that I made on Letterbox for, uh, which is a private list. No, don't go looking for it, guys. Um, I believe Alex is actually booked for three films this next season, so he got bumped up. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I am now. I I just went from guest to reoccurring, guys. Yeah. Oh no, sorry, man. Yeah, it's only two. It's only two. Ah. <laughs> It's okay. We, uh, I'm stuck at reoccurring guys. I haven't gotten the job for law and order yet. No, sorry, man. Uh, you know, uh, Leia does hold the record again for next season. She does have four picks again. So, uh, you're going to be seeing a lot of Leia, but you know, Alex will be on twice next, next uh, season, which is all good, man. You know, uh, it's good to take, it's good to take Alex in doses or else maybe, maybe by the time that we get to season four, season five, they'll give me a spinoff movie. (laughs) <laughs> possibly right man possibly so uh we're gonna go ahead and get and finish up here but uh, alex where can they find you on the internet man so right now on twitter and twitter is kind of really the only thing i've been using in terms of you know my social media presence um it's alex does comics on twitter that's where you can find me mm-hmm. alex and, does uh, comics. kind of just yeah alex alex does comics at twitter you know it's about all i'm really using right now all right sweet man and as always, you can find me at the Nerd Chicano on both Instagram and Twitter. We have the website as well, thenerdcore.com, where you can check out all the all the uh, articles I write and reviews for the for the site. Uh, you can check out the Patreon because Patreon supporters usually get these episodes really early before anybody else. It's just that these last couple of episodes have been pretty much filmed the day before because scheduling is a bitch during a pandemic. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how it is right now. So. Uh, uh, at least you guys get them early in a sense that you get them like hours early. But still, if you guys want to go ahead and uh, check out that, it's patreon.com slash nerdcore. And right there, first of all, there is where I will announce the first five episodes of Cinema Condition Season 2. And I'll tell you guess and all that. So if you want to learn more about what's coming next after the next three episodes, 
then uh, go ahead and uh, view, go ahead and check out the Patreon. So, with that, without further ado, it's been a lot of fun. Next episode, we've got a big one planned, guys. Um, we are inviting once again Patrick Grady, my friend, to discuss Stanley Kubrick's incredible, monumental science fiction film. The film that I believe that is the greatest science fiction film ever made. That is 2001 A Space Odyssey. And as always, I do not have an outro. But I remind you guys that it's a fun time when you get to watch new movies and you watch something that kind of is something you're not used to watching. So I really do recommend you guys go and check out something on, on your streamers. Or if you're like me and Alex, that we have Blu-rays on our shelves that haven't been watched yet and we bought them and never watched them, get that damn Blu-ray. Put it into your player and uh, watch it. And uh, surround yourself with some good art, guys. And we'll Dad, see- I don't want to finish Spawn. <laughs> but I want, yeah. So we'll see you guys on number 28 next week as we discuss 2001 A Space Odyssey. But we'll see you on the next one, guys.